Hey there, welcome to Just Godly Things. Do you know this, the podcast where there's real God stories, hopefully shared in a non-religious way, <laughs> so that wherever you're at in your journey, you can understand that, wow, God loves you so much. He's got a plan for your life and that you are his workmanship. Woohoo! Like his amazing art piece. That's so cool. If you've been following the pod since day one, two months ago, then you'll know that we went like hard for six weeks straight and then just took a month off. Wow, praise God. But I was in Kelowna last week and fun thing about the podcast is that it's so portable. So I knew that maybe I would meet some amazing Christian people and I really did. And so Brandon's on the podcast today. We ended up bonding on a motorcycle towards the end of the week. And then later on that evening, we had an amazing chat in the living room. And man, this dude is incredible. You're probably looking at this episode like, wow, this one's kind of long. But hey, when I was editing it, like, I couldn't even take any of this stuff out because it's all so good. So go slow if you need to, but seriously, open up your heart and just receive all the golden nuggets. <laughs> There's so many nugs. Oh my goodness. Just nuggets for days. If this episode was a pack of nuggets from McDonald's, like I think they max out on 20 packs. So it would be just multiple 20 packs of nuggets. Like, <laughs> so good. So hey, enjoy Brandon's testimony. Let's go. Brandon. Welcome. Roll, yeah. Let's do fun. it. This is awesome. And the fun thing about it too is that we're using your microphone because Ta-da. <laughs> you have your own audio equipment. So praise God. That's great. And yeah. I was chatting with your fiance. You're getting married in a couple weeks. True. Which is basically why I'm here through a friend on a couch. <laughs> and when I had initially started hearing more about your story, just hearing about how you don't come from a Christian home and that you've been through some stuff. I was like, wow, this is great. And then just yeah. analyzing your life being around you this week and just the way that you serve and the integrity that you have and the way that you carry yourself. I was like, wow, Brandon is incredible and people need to hear his story. And so just really excited to have you on the podcast today. I think it'd be amazing to hear your story. Like I said, not coming from a Christian home. That's amazing because the gospel's for everyone and not just for people right. who have parents who know the Lord. So yeah, would love to hear that. So maybe we'll start there. And then also you are in the business world and it would just be great to glean from you there because you do ministry in a way that you wouldn't normally expect uh like christian ministry as in you bring the gospel and the good news of jesus to people in a way that isn't through church per se so i think it'd be great totally. to just learn from you in that so yeah would you just like to share did you have any concept about the lord or anything growing up or what did that look like for you yeah Kat, those are those are really good questions so uh, just because i'm talking to a microphone at the moment so I'm 34 years old. Uh, I live in Kelowna. I grew up as an atheist. I come from a home where my parents divorced. Mm-hmm. My mom and my dad split when I was born. And my dad has struggled with an addiction to alcohol his uh, whole life. Wow. And that was the, the reason for the divorce. But all that to say, I was, I was too young to know any different then. Mm-hmm. But just grew up traveling around with mom trying to... She did a great job as a single mom raising me as a young man. It's not an easy task. So I got a big heart for single moms. It's just, it's, it's pretty crazy. Hmm. So I met Jesus when I was 18 and I was an atheist up until that point. And we were talking on the motorcycle. I was sharing how up until then, I just believed that God was a crutch for people that needed something to get through life. And Christianity was fairy dust uh, for ignorant people who were deceived and immature and naive and and so I, uh, it was. I didn't have any use or any interest in God. I, I thought it was silly. Yeah. And then I met uh, a young lady, and she was a Christian. She introduced me to church, and I started to go. And I'm gonna say I went a dozen times, and really got the impression. I mean, I understand now why people go to church. It's a good message, you know. It's mm-hmm. a feel good, do the right thing, 
you're not alone kind of feeling. I'm like, okay, I, I get it. I get it. It's a warm and fuzzy feeling that makes no sense. It's totally make-believe. It's hocus-pocus. I mean, really. <laughs> okay, so the reason there's mosquitoes in the world is that this guy, Adam, ate an apple, and that's why everything all fell apart. Like, was like, that's stupid, guys. Like, for right. real. Yeah, <laughs> so totally. I didn't have much much space in my, in my paradigm for anything truly divine. Mm-hmm. I... Uh, a staunch believer in the, the cold hard facts of evolution. You know, I can fast forward from then, you know, my math won't be accurate. If I say fast forward 15 years from my 18th birthday, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm approximately where I am now. And I can look back and go, I was so restrained in my heart back then. Like, so I was so cerebral in my understanding of the world and interacting mm-hmm. that I didn't have much space I, di- I was I was completely ignorant. Like I didn't know that my heart could open up and I could live from a place of connected, yeah. uh, groundedness, and uh, and not live through like a cognitive understanding that was devoid of life connection. Yeah. Which is where my atheism thrived, because everything was concepts and you know the three hundred million years old of the universe. I'm like because I could truly fathom three hundred million years. You right, know I, I right. could I could wrap my mind around that. That made a lot of sense to me. And anyways, so evolution had lots of space. But then Jesus showed up and in a way that I don't think is common as far as experiences go. But I was left in a moment. It was at a Bible study or like a church service on an evening. And there was a gentleman that got up and he started to speak prophetically, which is like he started to communicate a message from heaven directly for us. You know, that was just, it was connected to the heart of God for the people in the room. You know, yeah. there's a hundred or so of us. And, yeah. and I was just visiting. I was helping a friend move and we went to the evening church service at the new town that he was oh, living okay. in. And it was such a profound experience to have what I would now call the presence, like the feeling and experiential weight of God in mm-hmm. a room. Mm-hmm. My little atheist brain just couldn't handle this. I felt like I was going to get squashed under the weight and pressure. Like there was a tangible weightiness to the room. Wow. It was a profound experience. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there like Mm -hmm. I'm weeping, just completely overwhelmed by the emotion. And I can, again, from my place now, that was the Holy Spirit. And there's a power and a tangibility to God. He's not a mythical creature that's like a a story or fairy tale. He is substantial. There's a substance to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would later come to find out that he's interested in a dynamic relationship with us. He can connect. We can hear him and relate and exchange. But this is my first experience. And I I was completely undone. Wow. And I remember... My friend had been praying for my conversion, as most, you know, Christian friends do, you know, be <laughs> saved. You know, he's been, so we went on this Bible study and he's trying to tell me how Jesus is the right way and uh-huh. uh, all this. And it was, looking back, I smile. It was so cute. It was so innocent with the sense of he just really cared about me. And Yeah, for sure. And I remember going to the altar and um, the altar being the front of the church service, you know, where mm-hmm. they do that. Anybody needs to pray or talk right. to God, you know, come up to the front. And it's just, I'm going to move towards God. God's not at the altar any less than he's at the, the seat that I was sitting in. But nonetheless, and I was there for probably two and a half minutes, like remarkably short. Mm-hmm. But I got up and I was like sobbing and I turned around and gave my friend a big gaping, like draped over a hug and I'm like wow. this shit's real <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
<laughs> he was not expecting that. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, uh, he later told me that when he saw me get up after only a couple of minutes, he's like, oh crap. It, you know, like it didn't work, you know, like, yeah, okay. since he was hoping I'd connect with Jesus. But, um, were you emotional, an emotional person before that? Oh no. It's like, it's a, it was a profound thing for me to, to uh-huh. cry. If I cried once every three years, I'd be surprised. Well, okay. And, uh, and it would typically be over a movie, you know, like the, like a Lassie movie or a Free Willy movie, yeah. and it's like the animal. You know, it's like yeah, I could, yeah, I, could yeah, yeah. I would shed some tears in these sentimental moments where there was this point of connection. So I, but I had no, uh, again, no connection to my heart. The felt emotional sense that would been that had been part of the casualty of my upbringing. Moving around as often as I did, you know, I had gone to ten schools before graduating. Whoa, really? Yeah, and I was like so. I had no real sense of social connection or the mm-hmm. ability to make friends or stability mm-hmm. and attachment was hard to come by. And again, I'm speaking now with a sense of I've put a lot of time and energy into reconnecting with the things that just weren't developed yep. in my adolescence uh, so that I could live a healthy, full, connected life. Yeah. But back then I had no grit. I just never cried because that's not just what guys do, you know. And right. um, this was not just like an emotional event, which is... I guess the hardest part when I try to tell people the story, it's like, so you got emotional and cried and now God exists. I'm like, nah, I was, I was way too rigid in my like God stupid paradigm for that kind of like thing to occur. When I talk about the weightiness of God, it was like, if I ever swim down to the deep end of the diving pool, you know, like to go to the very, very bottom Mm -hmm. and it's like, I'm at the bottom, my ears hurt. I got to equalize my nose. Yeah. And I can feel the entire weight of the pool pushing down on me. I'm not going to die because of the pressure, but I can feel the weight of the water above me. Now, can I reach up and touch that weight? No. Like there's no, I can't pick up the, the dumbbell of weight, but I'm, I'm being pressed. Right. So I'm sitting there in the congregation, you know, weeping as the love that Jesus had for me. And as the preacher was communicating, it was like, it wasn't just a man's words because I'd sat through a dozen church services. Right. And it like, it penetrated into my heart in a way that I've heard others describe and couldn't relate to. And then all of a sudden I'm undone. And then the heaviness of God, the weightiness, the presence of God filled the room as in something that was just significant. And I look around and everybody's sobbing. Wow. Yeah, like, because I'm starting to feel self-conscious, like I'm a hot mess up here. And and it's like everybody's sobbing because that was the, that was the reaction to the, what I would say now, the, the holiness of God. Mm -hmm. I wasn't afraid, but I was undone. Yeah. And it was, and and so then the question for me from that moment on, it's like, now what? You know, it's like, it's that moment. It's like, this shit is real. Was my honest, like... And I'm not a liar, you know, I might not have known what to do, but I'm like, God's now real. And I know that. And I I used to think that God was fake, but that's like pretending that Wayne Gretzky wasn't real. Then you shake his hand and it's like, okay, dude's real, you know, like, and so the question going forward from there is now what? And And you were how old at that age? I was 18, 18, 18. eh? Wow. That's amazing. So you said there was some things in your heart that you had to redo or things that you had to learn that in places that was neglected as a child for you. So what are some things that you've navigated through then over the last few years? Yeah, Kat, that's, that's a good, that's a good question. You know, uh, so I got saved in the sense that I now knew that Jesus was real and, you know, so I repent because that's what the Bible says, repent and mm-hmm. shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in. Like Acts 2.38 was like the first 
scripture. I'm like, if God's real and this is the plan, so this is what I got to do. So I gave my life to Jesus. Cool. Great. And then I, uh, I mistakenly, you know, well-intentioned, but mistakenly was confined to believing that Jesus lived between two leather bindings, you know, and inside the book of the Bible. I was like, if I memorize Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, you know, like, then I'll know God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while understanding scripture and having the substance of uh, the truth that Jesus spoke while he was here on earth and then the testimonies of his closest friends and those are substantial and my faith is it stands on that foundation. I again I started my Christian journey locked in my head like from the cerebral place of if I understand it then I have it and I was just so deceived. Hmm. So there's no relationship in memorizing. Right. And the short circuit to all this is that Jesus wants to be in a living, life-breathing, connected relationship with us. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why he paid the ultimate price, so that he could call us friends. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I had no concept of that. I knew God was real, and I've heard about the Bible, so I just jumped right in. I did some remote wilderness activities, you know, basically I got saved, and I went on a couple of adventures where I didn't have church. So mm-hmm. I had my Bible, and I had the King James Bible, because that was oh. the most authentic, you know, <laughs> thou shalt henceforth. And I'm like, I didn't understand about 30% of what I was reading. Yeah, wow. Because reading comprehension is hard for me on the best of days, and then add some thines and some these in there. Mm. And cat, I was lost. Yeah. But I thought I was getting somewhere, because I was reading through the book. Right. I'm like, so I thought I was maturing as a right. Christian, but just yeah. totally missed is, it. Is that performance stuff something that you carried before becoming a Christian, like well, wanting to be well, the best? Well, I think, like- Kat, I think Kat, we had to, you know, I think we had to, I say we as a, as a, before you know Jesus, you earn your status. Yeah. You know, it's like if I wanted to achieve anything, I had to be, be likable or smart enough or good enough. And I mean, so that was like, there wasn't another option, which is right. the interesting part. Mm-hmm. So performance identity was the only, the only option. So then Jesus comes along, goes, Brandon, you're valuable, you matter. And it, and in the gentle ways of just being kind or providing or opening doorways to new life-giving opportunities that I couldn't have contrived. Mm-hmm. It, it was so slow and so persistent because I was so reluctant. You got to remember, I grew up like in a non-ideal context. Mm-hmm. And so I was used to having to look after myself and that life was hard and that People weren't there for me. They were willing to tolerate me if I was not too much of an inconvenience for them. was kind of the the mantra that I I grew up with. But one of the things that I did do along the journey is pay attention. I paid attention to the path Jesus walked with me down so that I could be at a place now where I can have some confidence and some assurance and experience the fullness of the man that he's helped me develop into. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't plan it this way, but the acronym that, that occurred to me when I reflected was VIP. So if I think of each of those as a stop on the bus, V for value, then it's value, identity, purpose. Mm-hmm. So that you're valuable, you matter, you belong pieces were the, probably the hardest pieces for me to get yeah. to in my heart. Like, because they're the pieces that speak to my worth. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that I struggled with the most. One of the things that I thought as a young man is that if my was worthwhile, my dad wouldn't have left. If I mattered, then I'd have friends at school. If you know, and I just there's just circumstances, life, normal life circumstances that happen to lots of people. 
I really struggled with. Yeah. And the end of the day, again, I didn't mean to be too candid on your podcast here, but I, I thought I was a worthless piece of shit. Really, eh? Yeah. So and now, you know, come forward in my Christianity. I still, I was a worthless piece of shit that now really understand that God's real. <laughs> it's like, uh, so that's like 18 to 23. That's like a long five year stretch of, mm-hmm. and so yeah, it doesn't like God's real. Just that was a sense of also God's real. Like my worthlessness or my low value doesn't matter. God's value matters. And, and so I could distract myself with going, just discovering God's real. God's awesome. I read through the new Testament that I read through the old Testament, uh, believing that if I read through the whole thing, I got all of God and, and I just, I missed, I, I just, I was grasping at something and I was still, so totally insecure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Jesus knew that until I understood that I as an individual, as you as an individual, are worth something, there's nothing else to learn. Mm. Because then he could provide lots of money or he could provide a position or an opportunity and it would be wasted on me on account of my perspectives. Right. And so what's interesting when I reflect as well is that I'm not any more or less valuable now than I was then. Mm-hmm. What had to change is my perspective. Yeah. I mean, ultimately what Jesus did for me when he took a tremendous beating on a cross and then was crucified, gave up his life and then rose again, is that he, he did that because I was worth that. Right. And that's so befuddling so confusing for uh, someone who's used to like, yeah, but people aren't nice like that. You know, it's like, no, no, Brandon, if I don't pay this price for you, you can't join me forever and ever and ever. Mm -hmm. And you're so worth it that I will walk down this path. This, this really challenging, hard path is going to cost me a lot of things, but Jesus's crucifixion testified to the fact that I was worth it. Right. Because on the one hand, I growing up, before I met Jesus, saw people that thought they were worth everything. And that was really just a manifestation of like an ego. Yeah. Going like, I'm the best or I'm the, like, that again, it wasn't connected to a heart place, a centered place, a generous place. Right. That's just a self-indulgent, self-absorption. Mm-hmm. I was on the other end of the spectrum, which is the other, what, I, what I've learned is another version of my ego is like, you're the worst, you're the suckiest, God has a promise for you, but it's not true and you're mm-hmm. not good enough for mm-hmm. it anyways. Mm-hmm. I mean, both of those are pride. Both of those are ego. Both of those are going to get us in trouble. Yeah. And then Jesus comes along right down the middle and says, uh, no, you're, you're fully valuable. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not based on anything you do. Bingo. And it's like, oh, so I can't have an inflated I'm the best ego when Jesus is the one that deserves all the credit. Yeah. But I can still go, yes, because Jesus deserves all the credit and because Jesus tells the truth and because Jesus did what he did, I am fully qualified. Right. I don't have to worry anymore. I don't have to doubt anymore. I don't have to try, like strive anymore. I can just embrace, accept, have gratitude rather than Mm -hmm. doubt and apprehension. Right. Totally. And embrace the way that he created you and that you can outwardly express that through how you live your life. Bingo. Because then here's the great exchange. I mean, people from time to time, I just, I can see this part. It's like, I live my life going, I'm a worthless piece of shit. You're really valuable. 
Mm-hmm. So I had like weird codependent girlfriend relationships where it was all about them and not about me. And honestly, my first wife was like in this paradigm too. It's like, no, 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 tread on me. I'm like a, a doormat for you and mm-hmm. it's all about you. And that was totally from my warped misunderstanding about my sense of value. And I thought that if I was, because again, if I, if, if my life, if I believe that I wasn't worth anything, mm-hmm. then the gift that I was giving you of my life or my very best was still only worth what I was worth, which wasn't very much. Yeah. So the grand gift of what Jesus has done for me is going, Brandon, you're actually worth something. Mm-hmm. You're not worth more than anybody else. Right. But you're worth no less than anybody else. Totally. So from this place of like, hold your chin up, look people in the eye, you matter. The gifts I've given you matter. So show up like you matter. So when you offer something of yourself to others, know that you're giving them a valuable gift. Mm-hmm. So it was weird for me then. And it's really comfortable for me now to go, we're having a dialogue right now. I'm sharing with you some insights that really matter. And that gives me confidence to just keep going and to keep sharing because I believe now I'm assured now that what I have learned will help others. And it's just a groundedness in that. Right. And, and I can say that I know you have your revelations of God's goodness and what he has established in you is irrevocable and good. And, and it is from this place of confidence that we really get to share dialogue. Even though on this podcast, I'm doing all the talking right now. You're doing great. <laughs> so you had, you shared that there's the VIP. Yeah. So the V is the value. What are the next two? Okay. So the next is identity, identity. right? So you matter is like the first stop on the bus. It's like basically putting oxygen in your lungs or gas in your tank. Mm-hmm. Come on, bro. You're not worthless. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then the question is, who are you? I'm, I'm valuable and undefined. Mm. Who are you? Oh man. Find your identity. I mean, like that, that was a journey for me Yeah. because it was like, I'm super valuable. And I got totally trapped. I'm super valuable. What do I do for a job? And I was totally stuck in my career. I don't know, I was career, you know, my job. I was, I was in construction. I was like, oh, this can't be me. And I, I thought my identity meant what I do every day. And really identity has to do with who I am and the journey to discover not just that I matter, but then I have a definite secure identity in Christ Jesus was a profound shift because with identity comes authority Mm -hmm. and authority is really a gift of responsibility. It's not a position of entitlement as many unfortunately perceive it to be uh, and use, I have authority over you. It's like, no, no, I have authority. Therefore I have responsibility alongside and underneath you right because that's the kind of authority that christ modeled but his authority was modeled under his secure identity who am i this is my son whom i'm well pleased you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. like yeah his identity was the son of god and he acted out accordingly mm-hmm. according to his authority so when he said the demons get out of here they left and when he said the, the, the sick person be healed they were healed and, and it's like so he could speak and engage with the world from a grounded centered place of his identity and I needed to do the same thing. Otherwise, I, I mattered a lot, but I had no clarity, no focus, no direction. Mm-hmm. And I remember so, like this, I, so this journey to identity was fun because when you start to catch identity, you, like for me, the some of the things that stood out is I started to learn about God's provision. Well, if, if God is who he says he is, and if I matter like I say I matter, because like, like I'm worth something, okay? So I'm leaning in, taste mm-hmm. and see that I am good, says the Lord. So I'm testing him, you know, because I'm a <laughs> cheeky young man. And 
all of a sudden it's God's provision. I'm like, oh, you take care of your kids. You know, I was touching my, putting my toe in the water, you know, yeah. thinking back over my life experiences and the times that I had gone without. I'm like, okay, you think you're so good? Well, what are you going to provide for this? And I'd almost set up these hurdles for God to jump over, which honestly mocks his divinity at this point in my life. Uh, but nonetheless, it was where I was at and my super insecure state. I had to like try to validate it. I couldn't just trust it because I couldn't trust uh, I come to realize now that trust is a gift that's given. Mm. Trust isn't earned. Mm. Trust is given. Trust is a gift that I give people. It's not reciprocated or dependent upon their responses. Now, they can earn my respect. Mm-hmm. They can earn my confidence, but I extend trust. Uh, Jesus has helped me realize that because that's what he's done to me. But this identity piece was so profound. I started to learn about God's provision and I started to learn about God's kindness and his willingness to be with me and I started to see some healings and I started Mm -hmm. to pray for things you know passionately and I thought my passion was the key to unlock God's power and I was wrong Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I because I really was just at that point you know using my enthusiasm to try to twist God's arm to get things my way because that's what I wanted and I didn't know any better like this is honestly well-intentioned but just totally ignorant yeah all at the same time but then I came to realize this. When God's sitting there in heaven, like our Heavenly Father sitting there, and he looks over at Brandon, he sees Jesus. Right. Like he can't, like I, my life is hid in Christ. Right. Not hid beside Christ. Right. Not apart from Jesus. And if Christ is in me and he's my hope of glory and the life I now live is through faith in Christ Jesus, and where am I seated with Jesus? Mm-hmm. Where's Jesus seated in mm-hmm. heavenly places at the right hand of the Father? It's like... This, there was a multi-layered process for me to really realize that if God is real, and that question was answered, yeah. then what? Well, then why did he die for me? Surely I matter. And if I matter, then what's the point of all that? Well, so the point is, is that I've been adopted mm-hmm. into, like adopted as in brought into, didn't earn it, not my entitlement, brought into something that I could never afford, pay for, or, or deserve, right. and given a position as a full son, daughter of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the king. Kind of mm-hmm. like, so I got the heavenly God looking down at Jesus going, and this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And now Jesus has done what he did on the cross. And now God can look at you and look at me and go, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom right. I'm well pleased. Yeah. And the full authority of God is given to me. Right. The full responsibility, the full authority, the full responsibility, the full opportunity of Jesus is given to me, to you, to anyone who believes in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's just our identity. Right. So my identity is redeemed. The redeemed son, full of the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, yep. dwells bodily in me. Like not, I don't pray anymore for the Holy Spirit to come down. Yeah. I pray for the Holy Spirit to come out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, because he's in me. Yeah. So good. And you would call that like the process of being sanctified, right? So you get yes. saved, you give your life to Jesus. And then it's like all these layers are being peeled back. But the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that when you become born again, you get the full kingdom in you. So this is a no thing where it's like, okay, I need to be a Christian for 10 years. And then I got that authority thing. It's like, no, this is being revealed in you and who Christ already is in you. They and so it's like, it's yeah. a game changer for everyone because like you said, in the world, you have to be good enough. You got to reach X, Y, Z and do this and this and this before you've made it. But in the kingdom, God just invites you in and boom, like full meal deal right there. And the hardest part for me to understand is that it's just not fair. Hmm. Like there's no sense of fairness in it. There's no sense of equality in it. It's like, cause I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. You didn't. 
nobody does. Right. And so it's like, no, 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 I can't, I can't have the full keys to the kingdom with all, I have the pen to write on the checkbook. I have the, the pin code to the vault. I have the, the magic wand to make what, yeah, no, 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 it can't be that way. This is my first day on the job as a Christian. Yeah. It's like, that's just not fair. That's not reasonable, but it's totally God. Right. I have no more potential today. Like the first day I was a Christian and today as a Christian for 15 years, I had as much potential back then as I do now, as much capacity back then as I do now. Mm -hmm. I'm slow to catch on. So it's, I'm cluing in now more than I did then, but I'm no, I have no more power, no authority, no more anything than I did on day one. Right. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get that. It doesn't make sense. That's not what I would do. You know, it's like, right. I would phase people in. Yeah, know? totally. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta demonstrate you can handle this. You know, it's a big thunder <laughs> stick I give you, you yeah, know? Totally. Yeah. No, which probably leads to the P of the VIP, which I'm assuming would be purpose. Purpose. Yes. So you belong. You're a son of the king with the full inheritance associated, the full opportunity, full responsibility. So now what are you going to do with your life? Right. Because I think the, the essence of God is to go give. I mean, we, we love as we have been loved. Mm-hmm. So the purpose is to go, to mm-hmm. go forth, to, mm-hmm. to do. You know, I think if we have a theology that keeps us still, like it's a study, get to know, connected, but always driving inward but not outward, I think we're, we're stuck because there's a purpose. So go forth. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus came to die for a reason. On one hand, is like, I'm not that special. Like I'm just one of a billion. Mm-hmm. So I'm not special. But I'm still totally unique mm-hmm. and entirely chosen mm-hmm. and massively significant. And yeah. my father loves the socks off me. Like I am, <laughs> I matter a ton. Yeah. Now, I don't matter any more than you. Right. But I still matter a ton. And like, so I can, I, it's not a comparison. But from this position, what do I do now right. with what I've been given? And that's where I think we get to exchange. We get to exchange and then respond. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus is this loving, compassionate, powerful man, and he is great at romance and like drawing us in and making a safe place and practicing patience Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. being kind and considerate and gentle and generous and insightful and connected and relatable to us. Yeah. And we get to respond. And I've connected to the word because. God, because you are so patient with me and even when I'm slow to learn and you've been really good and I still doubt you, I still doubt your goodness and you've never let me down because you are those things. I'm going to go risk in the marketplace and extend a gift of generosity to people that I've never met that need a job, that need a place of stability that might take advantage of my generosity that might not perform according to my expectations that Mm -hmm. might dot, dot, dot. But Mm -hmm. because you did that with me, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go do that with them. Right. And I believe that there's space in you for me and them so that it's all going to work out and I don't have to be afraid. Right. Totally. And so I think the purpose is where it becomes material. Our faith becomes substantial. Yeah. I'm not going to say that anybody needs to wait until they're 10 years a Christian to connect with their purpose, but I'm going to say my clarity and resolve on my purpose now is so much more defined. Yeah. So good. So much more defined. And when you were sitting on that identity piece in the middle, there could be room for like, oh, if you're that important, then it could lead to being selfish almost. But the gospel, when you look at Jesus's life, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Oh man. And like, if we have any advantage, like if you and I, if you Mm -hmm. have any advantage, if I have any advantage, Mm -hmm. then that ought to be for the people that we encounter. 
mm-hmm. for the people in our community and mm-hmm. those that we encounter. Mm-hmm. So if I'm any smarter than you, if mm-hmm. I have any more money than you, if I have any, like if you have any more money than me, if you're any smarter than me, yeah. then your gift, your strength shouldn't be for your advantage. It should ultimately be for my advantage, for our advantage. Your strength should be my benefit right. is what I'm trying to say. And unfortunately, there are people that haven't caught that. And they use their advantage. Sometimes it's a gift that God gave them, and they exploit that as their advantage over, right? Rather than their advantage for, right? That's not right, right? Because if Jesus did that, you and I wouldn't be sitting here, totally. Because he didn't need to do what he did. He took his advantage, his place, and he humbled himself and was mm-hmm. born of a woman and lived thirty-three years a sin-free life, which was a bigger deal for me than than even his crucifixion. Because mm-hmm. I mean, that's thirty-three years of, of living right, not blowing a gasket, not acting selfishly, and not yeah. like yeah. that's a lot of self-control that mm-hmm. demonstrated for me that mm-hmm. I was worth the effort. Right, and he never took advantage of his position or his entitlements over me. And we've been talking about on the podcast, like looking at the fruit of people's life. And ultimately, when you come to know the Lord more in a deeper way, the fruit of your life should be more serving, more giving, more dying. Like Jesus just kept dying exactly like you're saying. He died every day. And we've also talked about taking up your cross daily. And so what does that look like for you now then? We've chatted on our time off the podcast just even a little bit today on the motorcycle. That was great. You were just sharing a little bit about your business and the way that you employ people. A big part about this podcast is saying that we are God's workmanship, which you've hit that piece on identity. So good and yeah. value creating Christ Jesus for good works, yes. which God prepared beforehand. So what are those good works for you now then, now that you're a little bit more grounded, knowing your identity, what's that purpose piece, the substance of your faith? What does that practically look like? Why do I give? Because he's done it for me, Yeah. which So a parallel thought. It's like, why do we love? Because he's loved us. Hmm. Why are we patient? Because he's been patient with us. Why do we go forth into the world and extend generosity to people who haven't necessarily earned it, as is typical? Because he's been generous for us. Yeah. I wouldn't consider myself to be particularly smart, but I am good at paying attention. My whole theology in life these days is a copy and paste model. Hmm. Because I believe the platinum commandment that Jesus gave us is love others as I have loved you. So I reflect often, often like as on an ongoing basis, on how Jesus has connected with me and how Jesus has engaged with me in all the circumstances that I face, especially the ones that I feel most frustrated by or most challenged by. Like I really don't like when somebody takes advantage of me. I'm happy to be generous. Like it's just something that God's fostered in me. I love the idea of giving, cheerfully giving. But what if you go, oh, Brandon's a nice guy. Oh, Brandon has so-and-so, so so I'm going to take from him because it doesn't matter. He's got lots. That could be my time. That could be my car. That could be my whatever. I'm so frustrated by that, that I want my, my gut reaction is still sometimes to go, Hey, no, Mm -hmm. not to say boundaries aren't happy, but it's like, no, you shouldn't blah, blah, blah. It's like, and then I remember all the interactions, and this is where Jesus becomes personal. It's like all the interactions I've had with Jesus where I've taken advantage of his generosity. Mm-hmm. And he's never responded to me in harshness. Now, he's been direct. He has been clear. That is not okay. It's totally a misuse of what I've given. Like he's corrected and reprimanded, mm-hmm. but he has always made space for me. He has mm-hmm. never rejected me outright. And I have been an absolute dodo 
Yeah. And this is my, my grand reflection. One of the shortcuts would be, there is nothing that's been done to me that I haven't already done to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I have no excuses. I have an example to follow when somebody says something about me that's not true. Mm-hmm. Well, I've said something about Jesus that's not true. Like, oh, well, he must not care about my prayers because I, I asked him to heal that person and they didn't get healed. So he must not care about me. Meanwhile, in my ignorance, I was declaring things about God that weren't true and calling him a loser and like he wasn't capable or like he didn't care and really going against his core identity and blaming him for what I wasn't capable of achieving on my own. Mm -hmm. And he never cut me off. He was gracious in his responses. And he, I mean, he deserves the holiest of treatment, Mm. like glory. Yeah. Hosanna. And here I am mocking him as though I know what's up. So from his example, I look up and go, okay, Lord, everything you've done to me, I get to do to others. Mm-hmm. I have an example to follow. That's part of like being a Christian is that we have an example to follow. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus in a living, breathing example way. Not memorize Matthew, Mark, Luke, John right. kind of way. It's like there's more to it than that. So I, I've just decided that work is life. Life is church and church is a community and I'm a part of that. So I'm in the mix of it. So, so my 40 hours a week matter. My evenings and weekends matter. I'm just dedicated to live wholly for that, like holistically for that mm-hmm. because... Jesus paid a price for my life and I want my life to matter. Yeah. I don't know when the last breath I breathe is, but what I do know is that I'm building my legacy every single day I'm alive. Yeah. I do know that I will be remembered by how I act. I do know that how I spend my time, energy, and my money really reflects what I believe about my position in the kingdom of heaven. And so when I decided to stay in construction and be an employer, I really realized that I was taking responsibility for a leadership position in the community like Jesus did in his community. And I was going to practice the things he did to me mm-hmm. on the people that I employed. Mm-hmm. So what, when a new person comes to my job, I just take for granted whether they've been a Christian or not. They probably start with a sense of value. So the first message, I take them on the VIP journey. Hey, listen, you're valuable. You belong here. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter whether you have the skills or I don't. You're not valuable because you're the best. You're not valuable because you know. You're valuable because you belong here. Mm-hmm. Period. Yes, we want to discover your skills and cultivate success in you and help you realize the potential that God's given you in your, in your gift sets. We want to make space for that and allow you to co-influence our culture and our environment. Yes, because mm-hmm. that's what we do as a community. This isn't my company. This is our community. Right. I might have a position of responsibility for it, but it's not mine solely. It is ours. So we co-generate space. So value, then there's identity. Your strengths, gifts, purposes come from who you discover yourself to be. Yeah. And so I just like rinse and repeat mm-hmm. what Jesus does. You know, God provides for me. I'm like, okay, you're my, you're my heavenly provider. That's awesome. So now I'm like, now I need to have faith for 10 people. Cause I got, I got payroll. It's like, perfect. <laughs> the gift of provision, let yeah, it yeah, flow. Yeah. You know, I'm like, thank you, Lord, that you provide, you promised me I never run out. So here it is. We get to live that real time and then witness to other people. It's like, how we respond when things are uncomfortable says so much about our confidence in who God is, but who we see ourselves to be in God. Mm-hmm. See, I don't think God's insecure. If I get all squirmy when my bank account gets low, God's not sitting there going, oh, no, 
I, I, I'm insecure about my divine position. Like he's rock solid. Yeah. What it really reveals is how thoroughly we understand our position mm-hmm. in God. Mm-hmm. Because if we genuinely believed that we are sons and daughters, we wouldn't squirm. Right. Even when it gets uncomfortable. And so we get to, with our life, invite people close to us. And this is why I have a privilege being self-employed. I get the, I have more jurisdiction than some people do. Mm-hmm. I get to bring people in and, and let them have a close look. Mm-hmm. at my life mm-hmm. through the good times and through the times when I'm feeling squeezed. Right. And allow my example through the hard times, honestly, to testify the greatest about the worthiness of Jesus, mm-hmm. really, to why I would prioritize behaving like him. Right. And you were talking today and sharing just a bit about how it's not necessarily about the clients that you have that you get to impact so much, but yeah. it's about the people that you hire, right? So can you share totally. maybe practically a little bit what that looks like? Or? Yeah, this is this is the rich part. I mean, I feel like if you're self-employed, you need to go get yourself some employees and you need to realize that your team are your people and they're your community. And these are your disciples. These are your apprentices. These are your colleagues on the journey of Jesus and that you share, we share responsibility. Like we get to love one another. Mm-hmm. The one another's is is the focus of our affection. I mean, I don't think God's insecure in his position, but he is evaluating how we take what he has given us and freely give. Mm-hmm. So part of taking responsibility for that was realizing that as I employ people, uh, I, d- I don't need to go look for the best of the best people. I need to look for the people that need the opportunities that God is faithful to provide. So uh, I know that I went and I started making employment opportunities for people with barriers to employment, like they're addicted or their criminal records or things like this. Yeah. Really people in the margins of society. Yeah. And what do they need to know? Mm-hmm. They're valuable. Mm-hmm. You belong here. Mm-hmm. You know, in some cases, I remember having an employee going, Brandon, I need to come to work today. I use heroin on the weekend, and if I don't come to work today, I'm just going to go back down Leon's the street. Uh, I'm going to go back down to Leon and use. And can I come to work today? I'm like, of course. Like, I, I don't even know what I'm doing today. I was like, the answer is yes, because mm-hmm. there's a safe place for you here. Mm-hmm. And yes, we're going to use practice, prudence, and responsibility in terms of like, you're not operating equipment or anything like that. But I'm like, I will pay you to sit there. Yeah. And be safe. And if there's space for you to hold a wheelbarrow or help somebody with something like I just, we're going to organize the trailer. I don't care. But mm-hmm. there's room for you here. Well, and it's not based on how much money you can earn me today. It's based on how valuable you are as a person because my provision's in God's hands anyways. So right. I don't need to worry about, you know, ah, oh, but that's overhead. Like it's, that's shenanigans. And so treating people, and this is, I mean, this is why I look at, these are my people. Like these are these are the people that I'm loving into the kingdom, so that hopefully they get a better sense of their ability to connect. To wow, I am I am worth something. Maybe Jesus does kind of like me. Yeah, I'm like yeah, he does, bro. Like he totally does, and you're gonna experience that through me mm-hmm. because that's not negotiable. Right. So and, good. Yeah, and I guess that's the part we get to like. Nobody has to tell me to do that. Like that is my commitment to you. And anybody that I meet is like, you're valuable. And if, if, if you don't, if that doesn't come across to you, then I have failed. Mm-hmm. I am accountable to that. I've made a commitment with my life to that mm-hmm. because he is worthy. Again, mm-hmm. that magic word, because he is worthy. I have pre-committed to this mm-hmm. and made myself accountable mm-hmm. uh, to live in a direction that communicates that. Anyways, yeah, that's amazing. And I think you can't make that stuff up, you know. You can't just be, like, this good person who doesn't know God who wants to, like, hire drug addicts or this or that because there comes a time when there's a lot of grace you got to be having for these oh, people. Oh, totally. You know, and, like, oh, you man. need the love of God for that. And so... Right. 
Yeah, that is just so oh, amazing yeah. that you would want to do that. Well, and it's like so. It's interesting because I've I used to. I've been self-employed for a dozen years now. And I used to go, well, you should be self-employed and do it like I do it was kind of my paradigm. And not everybody can be self-employed. Uh-huh. But everybody does have a jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Everybody does have a community they belong to. Everybody does have an opportunity to decide, I'm going to go do my gardening by myself. Or I'm going to look around the community and notice somebody that could, hey, would you mind coming to help me with my gardening? Mm-hmm. We might just be deadheading in the gardening or maybe tr- pruning some, like just, I'm thinking about grandma, just walking around her. Everybody can intentionally choose to share their life. Mm-hmm. And God forbid they could even pay the person. Thank you for your help with my gardening. Mm-hmm. Minimum wage is 14 bucks an hour where I live. So here's 15 bucks because you helped me for the last 45 minutes. And then lo and behold, Christians are remembered as generous people. Yeah. And it's like, it should, it's okay that it costs us to share our life and to witness with the example of our being and like go out of our way to make opportunities for people to participate. And I'm like, if you don't have money, I'm not trying to, the finance is one I have a lot to say on, but I don't want to pressure anyone or come across with expectation, but mm-hmm. to go, mm-hmm. but we all have an opportunity to invite people in and share what we've been given. Mm-hmm. We also have the opportunity to keep our mouth shut and keep our lives to ourselves. And I think the more generous opportunity is for us to go, here's what I have. And I'm really what was inspired by Mimi Silberg. I went down to San Francisco and she's got the Delancey Street, Found- Street Foundation. And she's basically, it's a, a recovered convicts. You know, they come out of prison and they're, mm-hmm. they come into this, this community living situation. And, and the whole philosophy is each one teach one. And I was like, because we got convicts, you know, she's like, if you know how to do grade three math, You teach somebody that knows how to do grade two math, how to do grade three math. You have a responsibility to teach and share what you have with somebody who does not have what you have. Like, it's not optional. It's not, she's like, she like tiny little lady. She's like, you shall. (laughs) It's like, if you know how to read, you teach somebody who doesn't know how to read. Not optional. It's like, right. I have a responsibility to freely share what I've freely been given, whether that's a position, access, opportunity, health. I mean, I know you're going to go do CrossFit stuff. I mean, you've been given a limber, physical fit body. I mean, Mm -hmm. build it and share it. I mean, there's no real resource limitations to this. There's no shortage of like opportunities or variations, but there is a shortage of people that are willing to go. I can see what I have and I shall choose to share. Right. You got a box of pencil crayons, find somebody that might want to share them mm-hmm. and choose to share, copy and paste. Okay. This is the other part I want to say. Because the addicts and the people and the margins, this was the great gift. In them, I saw me. Mm. You know, I realized through this journey with Jesus, no matter how broken, no matter how awkward some people's lives are, there's pieces of them that I can relate and identify myself in. Mm-hmm. And if it's not even how I operate now, like there was a time when I was just so desperate that it was almost like I was scavenging for the next opportunity or like, cause I was again, go back to pre Jesus or even I know Jesus is real, but I don't know that I'm valuable. I was like, there was a desperation in me. Mm-hmm. So when I see somebody that that's desperate, mm-hmm. I just remember, I remember me. And then I remember Jesus's kindness towards me. And I apply that out of gratitude for the gift that Jesus first gave me. And I don't separate myself from people 
I'm not like that. I've never done heroin and I haven't done cocaine and I don't do drugs, right? So mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. so I'm not saying I can connect to the substance abuse, but I can connect to being totally lost and totally yeah. overwhelmed yeah. and completely ashamed of the life that I had lived and broken in knowing the path forward and realizing that the reason that I am in the place that I am now in life is because somebody reached their hand out and said, I have something that might work for you. Mm-hmm. And they were willing to share. And they provided me an opportunity if it was a job or if it was a, uh, a walk in the park or a lunch out or mm-hmm. something. And I'm like, you mm-hmm. know what? I, I'm going to be somebody that does that for others because yeah. that made the difference for me. Yeah, when we were talking on the bike today, I was saying to you, it's like, oh, you didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I think you missed a lot of religiosity, which oh, praise yeah. God, you know, like you just... A lot of times people think when they want to do Christian ministry and, and all this stuff, it like needs to be done through the church. But no, like that's not the reality at all. The church is great. Love the body, love church, love the building, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, we're called, like you said, to go out into the world and make disciples. Yeah. And the Lord's given you a gift to do business, do construction, all this stuff. And so now you just get to glorify the Lord through it. And I've, I've reflected, and I don't mean any malice, there's some amazing people that have come through multi-generational Christian families. And, yeah. and I'm thankful that my kids, you know, one day when I have kids, they're going to get to know Jesus because their dad has a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. But I, I often wonder, it's like if you grew up in church, you're, I feel like you're almost at a disadvantage in some regards because it's like you've always been good, right? Mm-hmm. You've done the right things. You've gone to the right classes. You've memorized the right verses. I have a profound delineation between pre-Jesus and after Jesus mm-hmm. in my life. A profound before and after. Right. I have been saved. I'm never going back. Mm-hmm. I know the man that I was. Mm-hmm. I can see who I would have become if I had neglected to say yes to the invitation to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it is a profound contradiction. Right. And I wonder about people that have always just been good enough. Like, they're just, they're great people. They've always just been great people. It's like, yeah. how has Jesus saved you? Mm-hmm. Is the question I've wondered. Right. Yeah, you because know, I can tell you about the pornography addictions, you know, 18. And we had dial-up internet back then. I mean, you had to wait a while for, like, a picture of boobs to, like, load up <laughs> on the screen, right? We never had mobile phones. Oh, phone. my gosh. Any, but I'm like... I was totally addicted to pornography uh-huh. and because it was just, it was the thing, you know, uh-huh. I didn't have a girlfriend. So it was like, this is, this was it. And then I met Jesus and it wasn't like a month or two later. And I was just driving down the road in Winnipeg where I was living when I saw a billboard and I don't know if it's a Victoria's secret, something or other. And uh-huh. I'm like, you know, just looking at like, wow, she's gorgeous. Right. And it's just like, boom, this instant conviction. I said, that's somebody's daughter. Yeah. And it was like, I felt like it was like the, the impression of like the heavenly father, like a father putting his arm over my shoulder looking up at that, like me looking at that girl going, that's somebody's daughter. Hmm. One day you're going to have a daughter. Yeah. How would you feel if you knew that there was some guy looking at your daughter, the way you're looking at that guy's daughter. And it just, this conviction just hit me. I realized that I was, I was mistreating and objectifying this real person Mm -hmm. in a way that I would never tolerate 
if that was happening to the real person that I really cared about. And that's somebody's special little girl. That's somebody's, you know, she was seven years old with a pink fluffy Mm -hmm. tutu Mm -hmm. spinning around with Brett's in her hair going, daddy, watch me on the playground. You know, like this is somebody's little princess. Mm -hmm. And, and she was just an object to me. And I went, Oh no. And it was over for me. I just, and I felt like God gave me a window into his heart as a father for the real woman that was present on the other side of the screen. I'm like, I could never mistreat somebody like that. Yeah. And because it became very human for me. And that was like before Jesus, it was just about sexual gratification. Yeah. After Jesus, it was about respecting the human beings yep. that I was interacting with. Yeah. Uh, and that was the end of pornography. Yeah. That's amazing. And you had shared that, um, from saying that if you grow up in a Christian home, sometimes there's room for like, you don't have that encounter. And I think, yeah, like the Holy Spirit's known as the comforter. So when you're growing up in a Christian home, a lot of times it is very comfortable, you know? And so you maybe don't actually encounter the Lord and it leaves more room just for Sunday school and learning these little religious rules and this and that. And I mean, when I think about it, I'm similar with you. I'm like, I want my kids to know Jesus. Like that's, as I get older now, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a scary thing. Who am I going to marry one day? What's this going to look like? Because this is so important. And yes, I want my kids to know the Lord, but I don't want my kids to be religious. I don't want them to be just comfortable right. going to church on a Sunday, sitting in a pew. Like, like they need to encounter the man Jesus, right? Because they're not, they can't ride your faith to heaven. Right. Like at some point, you know, you and I, we have to own this for ourselves mm-hmm. in a, on an individual basis where I go, Jesus is my Lord and savior. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And because he is, I, I can connect with the fact that I matter and that I'm valuable. And, and because I matter, so are you. And, yeah. and we're a part of this thing and a co-identity as yeah. sons and daughters. And, yeah. and our purpose is to go make a difference in the community in line with who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. So a little bit on that family piece you had shared way back at the start, you said your first wife, you yes. shared that you, so you were married. I was. What did that look like? You know, cause maybe you get around Christian people are like, yo, it's the D word. Does that mean you're divorced? Like, like, yeah. like what? So, oh man, talk what is about, that? Talk about, a little bit. It, it's an embarrassing concept for sure. Uh, yeah. Cause I got married not expecting to ever get divorced. My first marriage was a byproduct of me living unaware of the things that I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know how to be healthy in an emotional intelligence sense. I didn't know what being treated healthy was. I didn't know what treating others healthy was. And I got married believing that it's all going to work out. You know, this will be, she's the perfect woman and it'll be happily ever after, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I was willing to overlook all the signs that there was, there wasn't a mutual exchange of love and affection. But again, my paradigm, and I say, I take full responsibility for this. My paradigm was I'm not worth much. So if I don't get treated like I'm worth much, that's okay for me. Cause that's normal. Mm. That's not weird. That's normal. So it's like, man, I, I got the perfect woman. You know, I married the perfect woman for the the way that I saw myself, the way that I viewed the world, it was like uh, I saw myself as needing to accomplish something that was impossible. So I had to persuade somebody to love me. That was my mission. And it's like if it took me 100 years, it was like that was that was my fulfillment, you know, coming from behind and defining myself through adversity rather than just belonging and having value innately and 
connecting with people that could exchange and appreciate that value and had their own sense of values. They needed me to validate their value. It's like, I, I didn't have any concept of that, which I do now. Mm-hmm. But the interesting part is who cares? You know, I say I got into my marriage. It's like, okay, so I made a, I made a choice that was based more on insecurities and fantasy than on an ideal connection and a relational mix. And what are my options three years into a seven-year marriage where it's not a life-giving relationship for me? Well, I could quit. It's not comfortable. It's not convenient. It's not easy. It's not what I expected. I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated. I'm not satisfied and not fulfilled. So I can quit. This is where that part, like this, this is like so close to my heart here. Jesus never quit on me. Mm-hmm. And I, I had this moment where it's like, there was a couple of dodgy circumstances that took place. And I, I went, okay, Jesus, I didn't sign up for this. And this isn't right. And it's not biblical. And I thought she was a Christian. Like all this kind of crap, you know, goes through my head. Yeah. And, and it became so clear. It's like everything that she's done or doing to me, I've done to Jesus. And I owe it to Jesus to love her so well. And that was really when I started to take responsibility. And I could see identity moving into purpose. Purpose is to go love one another as he has loved us. Not love one another the way you have treated me. Mm-hmm. Love one another the way it feels com- comfortable for me. Love. It's like if he's paid the ultimate price, even even such that it would cost him some blood. Mm-hmm. That's our call. And so my opportunity, my invitation was to give the gift of love regardless of the exchange because Jesus generously gave the gift of love to me regardless of the exchange. Mm-hmm. And you know, 1 Corinthians 13 is that classic love romantic. But if you read the thing, it's like patience, mm-hmm. perseverance, mm-hmm. long-suffering, mm-hmm. forgiveness, no records of wrongs. Forbearance. I mean, these are none of those are fun words. I got married thinking that I love you meant it feels good, it's comfy, it's easy, it's familiar, it's safe, it's gentle, it's compassionate. It's kind of like my version of love is what my feelings were going to feel. Mm. And Jesus's version of love is I'm willing to pay this price for you. Mm-hmm. And so it was a brilliant classroom. It wasn't easy. It wasn't comfortable. But it's where I got to connect with and choose to follow my Lord. Now, it's hard because it's at home, and it's like, I can't escape. I can't run away. Uh, I used to, even emotionally. I could sit in the same room, but I just turtle on the inside, and I would detach and disconnect. Yeah. And and uh, my ex-wife would look at me, and she, she, there's just the emotional disconnect. And emotional, she's talking to a stone wall. Like mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. Uh, and that didn't serve us because I was rejecting her because it was too loud mm. or there was too much blame. Or I wasn't comfortable. I was rejecting her by leaving. Now, I physically was present, but emotionally vacant. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's abandonment, mm-hmm. emotional abandonment. And I was guilty of that. So step one was mature. Mature so that I could be present and engaged and start to demonstrate the attributes of love consistently. I used to think, hey, listen, like do heroic things like the laundry or put my dishes in the dishwasher and not leave them in the sink. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I did that two days in a row. Yes. Not... And I thought I was a somebody realizing that love and commitment. It's like when I've put doing the dishes and we're putting them in the dishwasher for 72 years in a row is what love requires. Right. So get over yourself, Brandon. Two days of good behavior doesn't mean your wife should be totally pumped and love you and give you all the respect in the world. And even want to have sex with you because you're such a good guy. And it's like, oh, man, if I'm really committed to this loving well thing, I'm going to stop keeping score. Yeah. Of my own performance, I'm going to stop keeping tallies of 
the mistreatments that I or the injustices that I'm experiencing and start choosing to demonstrate love mm-hmm. in a way that is felt by the people that I say that I love. So I cared more about their experience of love than my feelings of love, if that makes any sense at all. Mm-hmm. Here's the tough part. I mean, just because you do it right doesn't mean it works out right. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I I'd made a commitment. I was like, Jesus, I want to leave. I want to quit. You know, I got a, I got biblical justification to leave my marriage right now. I'm like, mm-hmm. what do I do? Yeah. And I actually had this conversation with Jesus where I'm like, Lord, may it be done to me as I do to her. So if I quit early and pursue comfort because it's more convenient for me, then may you quit on me mm-hmm. and pursue or abandon, reject, take your, take your privileged position of entitlements and exercise your authority over my life mm. to leave at your convenience. Because believe me, I've left you for other lovers. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. I have no justification for my privileged position in God outside of his unmerited kindness, forgiveness, patience, perseverance, gentleness, compassion. And my marriage isn't about my satisfaction. My marriage is about my commitment to Jesus. Mm. Now, I think it's an idea. Like, it's not, I don't know, ever want to come across like, Jesus is happy for you to get married into purgatory. No. I mean, he desires this life-giving, loving one another, exchanging yeah, yeah, yeah. one another. Yeah. The one another is the one another. And I think we're going to be evaluated by how we love the one another's that are closest to us. Because it's easier for me to love my community that I see a couple times a week for a couple hours at a time than it is for me to love, you know, the wife and the kids that I'm kind of stuck with at home. Ah, right. You know, it's like totally. they get the worst of me. Well, I'm like, let me be judged by my worst mm-hmm. because that's the man that I am. And I didn't want to make excuses for that. So I'm like, I'm committed till the end of my days. Even if this doesn't work out the way that I expected from a like personal satisfaction in my marriage. Uh, I never want Jesus to quit on me, so I'm never going to quit on the one I made a commitment to. So nonetheless, my ex-wife decided she had other options that she wanted to pursue, so she she chose to leave, which I'm like, okay. Not what I expected, not what I wanted, not what Jesus wanted. Mm-hmm. And here we go. Jesus doesn't always get what he wants. Yeah. And I'm like, that gave me a lot of space once I realized that. Sometimes I don't get what I want. And I felt so offended by that. Well, sometimes Jesus doesn't get what he wants. Mm-hmm. Actually, often he doesn't get what he wants. I don't think he wanted to be crucified. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also don't think he wanted me to avoid him for the first 18 years of my life. And yet I did. And yet he remained. Mm-hmm. So that just that changed. And moving on and keeping my integrity through the, through the separation and divorce meant a lot of things. I mean, you split your... Here's, here's things get real. I mean, so it was a Tuesday evening after a run clinic. And she pulled up in the parking lot after we went for a run. And just said, hey, uh, I don't want to be married anymore. Hmm. And uh, I just never came home again. Wow. And it's like, okay, you know, what do we do? Jesus, where are you now? Yeah. In the midst of this, because there's abandonment and rejection, and there's yeah. all kinds of things that attack the sense of value and the yeah. sense of belonging and the sense of stability. And if I identified myself as a husband and a good husband, it's like all those things just, boom, came under attack. Purpose, you want to talk about attack, uh, like say attack, it confronts the idea of I'm going to be a dad and I'm mm-hmm. going to be a husband mm-hmm. and I got a mm-hmm. business and mm-hmm. it's like all that. Mm-hmm. That's, that. That is not an easy set of circumstances and unfortunately too common these days because divorce rates are pretty high. Yeah. And then it goes, so what do we do? Well, we split all our finances, of course. You know, I, I, we, we don't have any debt, so it's all just cash and we split all that within a couple of weeks and I'm sitting there, I had to go my real choice. It's like, she's still my wife. Mm-hmm. Cause we're still married at this point. You got to be separated for a year and you file for divorce. And it's like, she's taking half of everything. You just decided to leave. It's like, yeah, but you got to remember two weeks ago, we were still married. That's like just 
two, two weeks prior, we were still married. Yeah. Everything I own is all hers. All of it. So she can do with all of it as she wills because it's all hers. She's entitled to all of it. Mm-hmm. Now, we would have discussions, you know, like, sure, like, that'd be, that's a normal, healthy relationship on exchange. But no, so now that, now she's decided she doesn't be married anymore, she wants to take half of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what do I do here? Well, it's all still hers. We're still married. She's still my wife. She's behaving in a way that I don't like, and she's behaving in a way that's really selfish. And I'm like, ah, oh, this isn't what I expected, but what mm-hmm. are my obligations? To love as Christ has loved me. Mm-hmm. And if with her portion of it, she wants to take it and use it entirely on herself, not my ideal, not what I wanted, not what I expected, nonetheless, entirely hers to do. Mm-hmm. And so I can be a ding-dong about it, or I can say, it'll all be transferred by lunch tomorrow. Wow. And this is the real life shit hits the fan kind of like life mm-hmm. circumstances mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's who mm-hmm. you are comes out so mm-hmm. it's good to have invested in character development mm-hmm. uh, absolutely that, yeah because again life happens yeah absolutely and that's wild how you were talking about how you've done so much wrong to the lord over the years right over to jesus you did to him what he would never do to you yeah it's just amazing how you stayed so had such integrity in your heart with your wife at that yeah. same time in a sense that Jesus would have to you in times when you didn't have it for him. And and I would say if I could hold my head high through the whole thing, it's like that, that I'm, I'm really proud of that. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, I'm really proud of how I conducted myself through an uncomfortable set of circumstances. Yeah. Hey, Cause I mean, you know, year three, I didn't want to be married anymore because it wasn't satisfying. Mm-hmm. It was year seven and a half when she left. So it's like, I had four years to reconcile my, frustrations and my disappointments and go, Jesus, who are you? And like set my horizon on the like 70 years of marriage. Cause I like, Jesus didn't quit on me. I'm not going to quit on this, you know? Mm-hmm. And hopefully, you know, things turn around and she finds a, a, a sense of value in herself. She's able to love herself and love Jesus and love me. And it's just, hopefully, hopefully it turns mm-hmm. around over time. Mm-hmm. And you know, we never got there. That didn't, mm-hmm. that didn't end up happening, but nonetheless, my requirements of today were the same. Mm-hmm. You know, even if she was 10 out of 10, the best wife anybody could ever ask for, how does that change what I get to do today? Right. Like, that doesn't change anything about today, tomorrow, or next week. It, it honestly doesn't change a thing. So once I figured that out, and I say figured it out, like Jesus, knock, 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 get it into my thick head kind of thing, my whole world changed. I start to be able to contribute some value to some people. Because then, obviously, you practice this at home with your wife and employees benefit too or my employees would receive the benefit my community members and my church family community because i'm practicing the skills of loving mm-hmm. and uh and those skills make a difference in the community mm-hmm. they make difference to strangers and yeah so love is a muscle we can grow into for sure yeah absolutely that's so great i love how practical you are it's like yes you have this faith in the lord he saved you. There's the word, which like shows you where you need to go, but you're just so practical about it. And I mean, I really don't like that, like, what would Jesus do thing kind of thing, but it's just, you understand, no, this is how the Lord operates, and therefore I get to do this too. So, you know, you hear you say that, what would Jesus do? It's kind of like, what would Jesus do? I'm like, oh, churchy. Ugh. You know, it's so frustrating. It's like, so then I would say this, I, this would be my version. What has Jesus done? Mm. Not what would Jesus do? I just look in the rearview mirror in my life, not even look at your life. If you're in a good community, you can go, what did Jesus do to my good friend, Charlie? Mm-hmm. What did Jesus do to my good friend, Susie? You know, like I can learn from Jesus through them. Mm-hmm. But I honestly just went, what did Jesus, what did Jesus already do to me? Mm-hmm. Because I got over the fact that I'm anything more than a selfish, difficult companion to my Lord and Savior, Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not special. Right. And I'm not particularly easy to live with. And I require a lot of grace. So I owe a lot of grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. I want to say to people, marriage is an interesting thing and it's worth taking seriously. You know, it's like, like relationships are, are difficult things these days. And I think a lot of people pursue convenience and comfort. And I'm in this relationship as long as it serves me. And then they quit when it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not what I wanted, not what I expected, not what I desire in the moment. And they forget that their their commitment is actually modeling their understanding of the commitment Jesus made to them. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're not following Jesus, I don't hold that against you. I mean, get married for convenience. You know, like, okay, like I don't, there's no judgment there. But I think if we can model, if we can grow into an understanding of healthy, thriving relationships, we can really model something different. And transformational because uh, it's the it was inconvenient and I stuck with you anyways moments that transform people's understanding of their worth mm-hmm. and those are really striking to be a part of those interactions and you get to be a part of those interactions by practicing them and living into that truth and not running away when it's difficult or inconvenient here's the other interesting part because I'm going to get married in two weeks mm-hmm. so we talked about my divorce right we talked about coming into a relationship. You want to talk to value? So I can tell you that it's really important to understand your value, have a sense of your identity, and a clarity on your purpose. Because now I'm, I have the opportunity to get married a second time. Mm-hmm. Would you believe that I'm going about it differently this time? How so? Well, from this place of realizing that I, I'm valuable, I, you know, and, and also from this place of having practiced and demonstrated the substance of love and, and having some confidence in, in the ability to give and receive love, but also understanding that I'm worth giving and receiving love too. I'm not going to settle. You know, when my ex-wife left, my standards went way up. Hmm. That doesn't mean my entitlements went way up. But my standards mm-hmm. went way up. It's like mm-hmm. I wasn't going to settle for a relationship where I wasn't treated with a sense of reflective value. Because mm-hmm. I wanted my partner to see like, oh, yeah, you are valuable. Kind of mm-hmm. like mirroring back that Jesus sees value in me. I wanted yeah. my partner to look back and go, yeah, you're a brand and I love you and you're valuable. Not I love you uh, as long as it's convenient for me. Or I'll be nice to you as long as it's comfortable for me or if I want to. Like it's optional, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I look at that and go, so understanding these truths really helped me make better decisions about who to join my life with because my standards are, are in line with what I now genuinely and honestly and humbly understand about myself right. through Christ. Yes. Now I realize that the more thoroughly I understand my value and my worth, the more thoroughly I understand the substance of the gift of my life. So I have become immensely more generous with my time, my energy, and my focus. Mm-hmm than I ever was in the past because I like I have something to give. But it's like, yeah, I can participate in life and community and make a difference and I can see myself in it. And that means that I align with people that are like dispositioned in Christ. So the quality of my interactions and my relationships continues to spiral upwards. Right. And that is something that cannot be understated. So the trajectory of my life, partnering with somebody from a place of health and wholeness mm-hmm. is distinctly different than, than partnering with somebody from a place of insecurity and incomplete understanding. And so the journey of Christ discovery in us uh, is one that will pay dividends. Now, if you're into a relationship, I'm not here ever to say, get out and find somebody that's more. No, no, no. Because then the testament of your love is to model love in 
distressed circumstances. Mm-hmm. So grow up into that capacity. I'm not expecting that because I married a more emotionally mature woman that she's my 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 love or my marriage will be devoid of challenges. I'm just saying I'm going to enjoy my experience of marriage more and it'll feel more reciprocal or more balanced. Uh, but nonetheless, my obligations don't change. Right. So it's not like it'll be easier so I don't have to work harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it'll just be more balanced. That's great. I love just the last couple of things you said there in general about, yeah, like you, this is a really serious decision that you're going to make with who you're going to spend the rest of your life yeah. with. And it's okay to have high standards because you're doing it for the glory of the Lord with yes. your partner, with your spouse. And there are real consequences like you've experienced, right? From Yes from things that are really damaging. But praise God, he can bring healing and restoration there. But yeah, I think that's just so amazing what you shared about relationally. Like, yes, standards are good. Very good. I think we'll leave it there then. Great. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, thanks, Kat. Okay, wow. So when I was re-editing this the entire time, I was like, wow, 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 wow. And there are so many places to respond in. I think one of my favorite parts obviously with the VIP thing, hey, where do you stand with that? Do you know that you're worth something? Literally the highest price that could ever be paid was paid for you. Secondly, with the identity piece, do you genuinely find your identity in what Jesus has done on the cross and in who he says you are? Or do you find your identity maybe in your smarts, your family, who your parents are, in the likes that you get on social media, all that stuff, you know? And like Brandon said, this is something that you just got to keep going through all the time. And then the purpose part, God has a plan. Obviously we're his workmanship. That's the basis of this podcast. So hallelujah, check it out. Ask the Lord to just reveal to you, you know, where do you find your identity? Also, man, if you're not a Christian, you're listening to this, God wants to radically change the trajectory of your life. Like, look at Brandon. He said he was a staunch atheist. Like, what the? (laughs) And now his life is completely different. So praise God. You know, at one point he said, there's a shortage of people who are willing to say, I can see what I have and I shall choose to share. And wow, yes, it's better to give than to receive. Let's go ask the Lord this week how you can give, how you can love and how you can continue to die to yourself. So, hey, thanks so much for joining the episode today. I hope you enjoyed it. I think we're coming again next week. So let's do it.